Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, basically. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch.com. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll try to keep it updated and new information there always. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com. And I'll get back to you as soon as I can. This episode is number 150, which I can't believe is here. And I'll get back to you. The idea started as just a show where I wanted to see comedians' old sketches performed. But then Brian Kelly suggested the interview component, and we recorded a pilot at Philly Sketch Fest 2016. A few weeks later, I bought some microphones, played around with editing audio, played around with a little basic graphic design, and got up and running. So thank you to everyone who's let me into their homes, or met me at a rehearsal space near Drexel, or chatted over the internet as guests on the podcast. Thank you to everyone who's listened or liked to post on Facebook or Instagram. Today's guest is Paul Trigiani, currently a member of Secret Pants and the director of The Flat Earth. Paul was actually my instructor in Sketch 201 at the Philly Improv Theater, so he's seen a ton of my bad ideas. But he's so good at it that after I took some time off, I re-enrolled and did Sketch 201 with him again. This was recorded back in June at the podcast mixer at Tattooed Moms during Philly Sketch Fest. And I've held on to this episode because Paul will next be seen as Secret Pants presents their annual holiday spectacular, Too Tired to Christmas, at Johnny Brenda's on Monday, December 23rd. Tickets are available at johnnybrendas.com. And it's my favorite show of the year, and I really think you should go. Paul's first sketch is called Superhero Roommate. Paul reads Powerful Man. Brian Craig of Secret Pants reads Jeff. Kelly Suliak of Girl Brain reads Valerie. And I read the stage directions. So let's get to the sketch. Jeff sits on his couch watching TV and thumbing through the TV guide. Powerful man comes in through the front door. Hey, Jeff. Oh, hey, powerful man. (laughs) What a day I had today. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Would you believe today, Commissioner Martin's daughter kidnapped again? No shit, who was it this time? Dr. Malicious. Ah. Yeah, and this time, (laughs) he was guarding her with a giant radioactive scorpion. Like, I haven't seen this one before, right? So I just gave it two blasts with my laser heat vision and then hit it it with this really big rock. It was like, like this big. (sighs) Well, let me tell you, brother, that baby went down like, well, like the way you expect a giant scorpion to go down, I guess. And then I kicked it. It was so cool. What'd you do today, Jeff? Powerful man gets up and goes to the refrigerator. Well, actually, I had a pretty exciting day, too. The, uh... The network was out, and so all over the building we were practically incapacitated, and no one from IT could figure the problem out. But then, just on a hunch, I- Oh, damn it all! What? What is it? I accidentally crushed this beer can with my super strength again. I can't do anything right. Go ahead, Jeff. Tell your story. Oh, yeah, right. So, I just reconfigured the user settings, and everything was up and running again. Gene told me that Mr. Blackwell himself is very impressed with my abilities. Wow, Jeff, 
I cannot express how impressed I am. I mean, monster scorpions are one thing, but I'll be damned if I could ever figure out a computer. <laughs> no, powerful man. What you do is Don't important, Don't be so too. modest, Jeffrey. I love what I do, but information systems are a difficult thing to... Oh, Jeff, what time is it? Ten-ish? Oh, Jeff, the real world is on. It's a new season. Austin, Jeffrey, Austin. We have to watch it. Fine, fine. Here's the remote. Jeff hands Powerful Man the remote and walks into the other room. Powerful Man clicks the remote a couple of times and becomes frustrated. Jeff! Jeff! It's not working! All I'm getting is scramblies! Jeff, help, please! Jeff walks in. Look, you have to switch the channels with the VCR. The TV stays on channel four. Oh, right. We've been over this, haven't we? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jeff walks out again. Powerful Man looks at his hand and looks around. Jeff! Come here a minute. I need you. Jeff comes back in. Yeah? Jeff, the remote is all sticky. I think I got beer on it. Or I don't know. It's all sticky. I just I need a paper towel. Well, they're in the kitchen. Yes, I know that, but could you get it for me? Because my hand is already sticky, and if I touch the paper towels, they'll get sticky too. Whatever. Fine. Jeff walks into the other room. Oh, that's great, Jeff. Thank you so much. Oh, Jeff? Yeah. Do you think you can moisten it like a little bit, Jeff? Jeff? Okay, thanks, Jeff. There's a knock on the door. Oh, I'll get it. Powerful Man walks to the door and opens it to find Valerie standing there. Oh, Valerie. Hey, Jeff, Valerie, from across the hall, it's Valerie. Valerie, what can I do for you, Val? Uh, actually, Powerful Man, um, is Jeff around? Oh, yes, of course. Jeff, Jeff, Valerie's here to see you. Powerful Man leaves the door and sits on the couch. Uh, Jeff walks in, wiping his hands with a paper towel. He hands the towel to Powerful Man, who wipes off the remote and then his own hands. Oh, hey, Valerie, what's up? Um, I was just going to go head out for a drink, and I wanted to know if you'd like to come along, maybe? Oh. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, hold on for just a second, could you? Yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Um, powerful man. Mm -hmm. I'm going to head out for a drink with Valerie. Oh, so yeah, 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 sure. Let me just get my chapstick and we'll get going. No, no, no. I, uh, we're, it's just us. We're going, like, just the two of us. Oh, no, right, of course. Yeah, yeah, you go. I'll be fine. I mean, I'll real world, new season? I mean, Austin, Jeff, come on, you go. Have a good time. I'll be here. You sure? Sure, sunshine, my man. Okay, well, call me if you need me, and if you go to bed before I get home, can you just leave a check on the fridge? Oh, yeah, of course. Because rent is due tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I can't cover you again this month. Right, right. Understood. I'll take care of it. Okay, and one last thing. Don't... Don't touch the stove. I know. Okay. I'll see you then. Okay. Bye-bye mm, now. Jeff and Valerie exit. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm, apartment to myself. Nobody home. Doot, doot, doot. Powerful man keeps singing to himself and looks, looks shiftily around. He sees the TV guide and flips through it, stopping abruptly on a picture. Aha, Veronica Mars. Don't you look lovely this evening? Mm -hmm, yes, you will do nicely. Powerful man exits with the paper towel and TV guide in one hand while unbuckling his belt with the other. The end. Hey, Paul. Hey, Josh. How's it going? All right. So uh, tell me about this sketch. Tell me about Powerful Man. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we, um, we, we being Secret Pants got together in 2003 four 
and I wrote this, I think, in 2004 as one of the first two things I wrote as part of the, the group. And I had a roommate at the time who was like a big, muscly, tough guy that couldn't do anything on, on, on his own. So I wanted to write about that. And um, I guess, you know, looking back on it now, uh, I wrote something based on personal experience without actually uh, mining it for jokes. Uh, <laughs> it was just truth and no comedy. So there's my big, big first problem. Um, so yeah, I had this this dude who was a roommate who like you know my, my who was a roommate who was my roommate at the time, and he was just you know very infantile in his toughness, mm. and so uh, that's what I was playing with, and it's you know six pages with no no jokes. <laughs> they got some laughs in here, like well, there's very there's a sketch comedy audience, and they're very kind. <laughs> uh, was this ever performed? It was. It was performed. So we did a show. Our first show in Philadelphia. Our first show was out outside of the city. We did a show at the Kyber, which is now a Cajun restaurant, um, but it was a rock venue and club at the time. Mm. And we did our first show in 2004 or five, five there. Did this. Died. Fucking miserably died on stage, and then we did it again. Um, our 10th anniversary, we did a best of show and a worst of show and did this as part of the worst of how did, night. How did it go with the worst of show? I think, again, it was a sketch comedy audience and they were very kind. And so well, and fine. then you'd have 10 years of like you know clout that you've built up over time, so I guess. Yeah, 10 years of people knowing us and getting to know us as people, so we had that sort of emergence <laughs> of self thing, and also it wasn't a, a, a crowd full of drunk people who are also mostly on cocaine. Who Which, didn't know why they were there? Why there were people talking on the stage? Just super, like, and this is like, you know, everyone was at that first show. Everybody it was packed. It was hot. Everybody was fucked up. It was a nightmare. <laughs> we did a two and a half hour set. That um, right? Why would you do that? Because we didn't know any better. We didn't know any better, and we thought. If people are going to come to a show, give them their money's worth and do an unbearably long set, which is what we did. How much were the tickets? Ten bucks. For two and a half hours. For two and a half hours with a band. Way a band more than their money's worth. Yeah. I think. Um, well, they definitely didn't want two and a half hours of us. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was not their money's worth. Um, you know, and we, it was our, it was really like, it was our, fir- it was our second show. Mm. There was no, um, there were no showcases here. There was no theater. There were no, there was no scene. Yeah. And so uh, we were just kind of doing a show in a, a weird vacuum. Yeah, Secret Pants, like, from everything I know, it's, it's the Wild West. There was nothing. You were playing in, in venues that aren't good for sketch comedy. Like, you were getting booked for stand-up comedians that did not fit. Well, that's, a, yeah. Well, like, I mean, there was a lot of, there's, so there there's was. tons of, like. There was, be, be, in 2004 and five. there was one stand-up club in the city it was down the street and it really catered to um urban comedians and then like 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 philadelphia bro comics mm. who were doing like misogynistic and homophobic comedy yeah and that was pretty much it yeah and we would do like that yeah and then occasionally we would do like a rock a rock club yeah because like yeah because this was pre-helium where like that was the more national touring comedians that would go through helium because that opened like 06 or 07 or whatever it was there was really, like, I grew up in Philadelphia, and I always had the sense that there was no comedy in Philadelphia. There like, was, yeah, growing there, up, there wasn't. Like so, right? There, I mean, there was there were comics from Philadelphia who had left and and gotten big, like Don Marrera, mm. but there was nothing like really. Yeah, if, if I you, mean, th- yeah, there, if you there, were a Philly sketch, com- I mean, a Philly stand-up comic, you had to get out. You had to get you had to go somewhere. You had else, to go to yeah. New York immediately, right? Or you did, you know, um, a, like a beef and beers in Delco. Yeah, like the wid which still happened, which still happened. Yeah. Um, how did Secret Pants find each other? 
Um, so there was a class at Temple University that I was not part of that uh, was like a writing comedy class. Okay. Brian, can you just jump in and tell the story? Because I don't know. <laughs> Brian Craig to fill in the Temple years. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, if you want to just go back to my podcast, <laughs> it's, it's number uh, 75 or 100. I don't 75. know. 75. Uh, I cover all this, but it was a, a, a writing work, a comedy writing workshop at Temple that was kind of just unsupervised, let us do whatever we wanted. The, the class was split, in, split into like writers actors and crew people like tech people and everyone kind of figured out how they were doing their own thing in kind of a snl style mm -hmm. uh and so the group of about 10 writers or so would hang out after the class at a bar on temple's campus and you know shoot the shit talk about stuff that we like doing or talk about movies we liked and each of those movies were like oh they started in like a, a, a comedy troupe. They started at the Groundlings. They started at Second City. And so, and so like we're all talking about the comedy stuff. We're like, you know what? Towards the end of that class, uh, we felt like we were getting pretty good at it and we wanted to keep doing it. And so the 10 of us there, we started pulling in some people that we were friends with that we knew could do this type of thing. And then, so Paul was one of them, I think Bryce, Brought you in? No. No, John, so I had... Uh, oh, Kovlar's, that's right. Uh, yeah, I, I had a roommate uh, who was part of that ten, group of 10 people. Okay. And so there was a, an, an initial meeting where there were like 17 people. Mm. And part of, you know, three of the people that, were, that came into it who were not part of that class were me, Sam, and Brian Kelly. Okay. And so we were, we were the, the, uh, uh, the newcomers. Okay. Uh, Larry, don't forget about Larry. And Larry. Larry was a newcomer too. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, because... I, I've seen photos of Secret Pants being 14 people. So, like, yeah. So, when we did that, when we did the first so two I, shows, I, I assume yeah. doing, you know, two and a half hours of 14 people is a, a, is a lot different than the five of you currently doing a two and a half hour show. We would not do a two and a half hour show anymore. I, I, well, we, you would, but you would fill it with other things. In well, we do, yeah, blocks. We, would, we might program a two and a half hour <laughs> show, but we're not going to perform for two and a half hours because no one wants to see us for that long. Okay. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, so going back to your origins, what was like your earliest memory of comedy? Uh, uh, so I, you know, I, I, I came home, I would watch the kids in the hall on SNL every day. And then my brother and I, uh, I have a twin brother, and he and I started shooting uh, sketches with uh, some friends with a VHS camera in my parents' house. Right, okay. And um, that lives somewhere. I was about to say, because I think we've talked about this, like, you know, like in real life before, that there are these magic tapes somewhere. They're not magic. Well, They're I'm terrible. saying like, no, in my sense of this podcast, like it's a holy grail. Of yeah, things. there's there's somewhere there's like two two VHS tapes of sketches that I made when I was in middle Do school. Do you remember any of them? Like what they would have been? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Like how teenage boy are they? Yeah, they're pretty teenage boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I it, it was it's like um uh, like anything, like when you first start doing it, you're just, um, you're, you're, you don't know what you're doing. You're just parroting a form that you see, yep. right? So it's like cavemen drawing other cave yep. paintings because they saw other cave paintings. So like we were doing very much analogs of things we had seen on television, mm. but like didn't know why, what it was supposed to be or why it could, like why the original thing was good. Yeah. Like we were just repeating what we saw. 
And so that's what you, like, you learn anything just like, you know, mom says fuck and you say fuck because you're a baby and you heard her say fuck, right? Yeah. So, like, you just repeat language and that's the same with anything else, any sort of, like, visual or art or anything you just repeat the thing you saw and so we we're repeating it was a lot of repeating like you're, you're creating your own paint by numbers without realizing that you're like you're playing into a formula without realizing that there's a formula right it's like, just yeah it's the process of routinization right so like we saw something and we made a routine of it and then re replicated yeah. it and started to learn that thing and i think even when we were doing the early secret pants stuff it was that it was like here's a thing i like i'm gonna do something just like the thing i like it was very derivative because that's how you start anything unless you're a genius which i don't i'm not so <laughs> um so i start by be you start by being routine and then slowly you realize um th either through seeing people respond to things or hearing from people or audience feedback or whatever you start to realize what makes a, a thing good mm -hmm. rather than just the existence of it yeah i ask everybody i'm always curious Favorite Center Life cast member of all time, uh, Phil Hartman. Okay, why? Because it, because he's he's he uh, played every single bit as though it were drama, mm. and it made it that much better. Mm. Like he was one hundred percent in every part he did. It was yeah. never a wink at the audience. It was never done tongue in cheek. It was always completely earnest. Like from when you watch him as the original Captain Carl and Pee Wee all the way through all the SNL stuff, through the movies he did before he died. Like, he's always playing it totally serious, yeah. and that's what made him the best. Yeah, I, like, I, I think, yeah, I say Phil Harmon, too, for myself. Uh, and going back, the fact that, like, and I talk about this all, like, just, you know, comedy nerd out about it, that he didn't have, like, a character on SNL until, like, year six that he was there. Like, it was all impressions or just, like, random dad. Like, he didn't have a recurring thing where Mike Myers and Dana Carvey had nothing but recurring characters in those late 80s years. Like, Well, I mean, and I think that that's – if you look at their auditions, right, they come, they came in as, you know, doing character bits or doing bits in general. Mm. And he just came in as a repertory player. Yeah. Right? Like, 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 I am a support dude. I he's, can do anything. He's the dude that's – he's in the sketch. He's on the show the most, but he's not the biggest laugh ever. Right. But you need him to do everything. And he did everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with, uh, with Phil Hartman, have you read the book? Uh, some writer, some, like, journalist in Chicago did an oral history, like, interviewed, like, everyone in his life. And there's, a, like, an official biography a couple years ago that released. No, no, I didn't, uh, even, I didn't even know it existed. You, I think it's called You Might Remember Me, because, you know, based on the Detroit. Lionel Hutz, yeah. And he's, like. Oh, no, the, the, what was the? Uh, um, the Troy McClure. Troy McClure, right. Yeah. The, um, and he's like, the fact. Uh, the other thing that I think is really cool is like he started so older, so much older than like you think people do, because he didn't like take a comedy class at the Groundlings until like he was close to thirty. When you think like everyone's going to be, he had a full life and a full time job, and success. Like he, you know, painted and did art on like album covers for ten years before he even. Did See, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know any of this stuff. Like this is all news to but me. But the fact that like he was like the older brother of everyone like on SNL, I think he was like five years older than everyone else in the cast that he was there. Like what's well, like Jane Jane Curtin, right? So Jane Curtin uh, had a, a, a husband and a family. Yeah. And everybody else was just going hog all the yeah. time. And she, she was she, she was, was going the home one that was going kids. home. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, gives you hope, doesn't it, Josh? <laughs> Well, the fact that Leslie Jones didn't get hired until 40, I was like, okay, we can do this. There's still time. There's still plenty of time for us. But don't, but like, don't you find that like, even thinking that way, like, w w you're comparing yourself to others and defining success within the, the paradigm of the success of others, right? So like, 
you know, Leslie Jones didn't get hired on SNL so she was 40, but she did so probably so much before that, yeah. right? Oh, she was like a constantly touring like, stand-up comic and like, yeah. you know, on the BT circuit and everything. Like she was she was putting in the work. Like I, you know, you can't blame that at all. But I imagine like Phil Hartman took that Groundlings class cuz he wanted more and got out got on SNL and wanted more and then went into movies cuz he wanted more, yeah. right? It's like I don't think ever you get to a place and you're like, I've done it. Yeah. I'm done now. Yeah. And so like to 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 have to to Take anybody's success as a barometer of your own, I think, is ill-fated, probably. Um, and then the fact that, like, his first major step out of going, you know, leaving SNL to news radio, and he's not even the top-line person on news radio. Like, he's, like, three or four on the call sheet as Bill McNeil. Like, he might have been, like, a with or an and at the end of the credits, but he wasn't the star of the show at all. Yeah, I mean, but it was still, like, a major supporting role, and, like, he definitely stole every single scene he was yeah. on. But, like, if you look at, like, um, uh, Craig Ferguson in the Drew Carey show, right? Yeah. He was maybe, like, fifth build, but still stole every scene he was on, yep. and then had... And, you know, and that's the sad thing about Phil Hartman, is, like, what more would he have accomplished? Because he was sort of a triple threat, right? Mm. Like, writer, producer, performer, director. Like, what else would he have brought? Because, you know, he did write the original... He, yeah, he, he was John Paragon the, and Paul Rubens wrote the original Pee Wee yeah, special. And he wrote the movie and the first season of the show and Captain Carl and he only left the show because he moved to New York to do SNL. Like Bummer's great. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I'm gonna say is. He's like just because he's not here anymore, like the body work's still great. And you know the story about um uh uh, uh John Lovitz beating up Andy Dick in the back <laughs> Yeah, like Cause he, was it like the voodoo curse or something? Like someone? Yeah, Andy Dick said, "I'm going to put the Phil Hartman curse on you." And so John Lovett slammed his head into a bar. Andy Dick's you a jerk. Like, yeah. Andy, if you're listening to this. Yeah, Andy. D- uh, first off, Andy Dick, if you're listening to me, you can turn it off. I, you're, you can move on with your life. Um, <laughs> the other thing I know about you, Paul, is that you're a big Weird Al fan. Yep. Where Where does that start? Uh, okay, all right, so, uh, uh, where does that start? It starts with a show called Kids Corner that was, that is still, to this day, a, um, a local radio show for children in mm. Philadelphia. On locally XPN. produced on XPN, uh, hosted by Kathy O'Connell, produced by Robert Drake, and, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I would listen to that show at 7 p.m. every single day, and they would play Weird Al, they'd play the Giants, they would play the Dead Milkman, they'd play all, uh, Tom Lehrer, so my first introduction to any music that was not a Broadway musical was through Kids Corner. So my parents had like Broadway musical albums, and that was it. And then I listened to Kids Corner. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So uh, so Weird Al was uh, my first my first album was was uh, even worse. Yeah. I bought on uh, on cassette, mm-hmm. and then through Weird Al's music, I got introduced to a bunch of different other styles. So like. Um, I don't know if everyone here is familiar with Weird Al, but he does both parodies and style parodies, right? Yes. So he does parodies of popular songs, but also will parody the style of certain bands. So he's parodied bands like Nirvana and Michael Jackson, blah. Mm. But he also does style parodies of sort of lesser-known bands. So he did style parodies of Oingo Boingo, style parodies of The Talking Heads, style parodies of Sparks, and all of these styles of music that I was introduced to uh, uh, big, the biggest one, I mean, uh, uh, Devo, right? He did a style yeah. parody of Devo. The Devo calls is uh, the best song they never wrote, which mm. is Dare to Be Stupid. So Weird Al's uh, 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 catalog introduced me to all of these other bands that I was also hearing on Kids Corner. Okay. And so, you know, my enjoyment of various weird 
places of pop culture and comedy all comes from that one place, which is which is Kids Corner. And we got to we were lucky enough to do. Kathy O'Connell came and hosted an Iron Sketch at Fit a few years back, okay. and we've gotten to know her now. And like it's you know to meet and know your hero and find out that they're as great as you thought they were <laughs> is amazing. Yeah, uh, I. You know, I lived in Philadelphia my entire life, and I had no clue what Kids Corner was, like, at all, until, like, I think one of my best friends growing up, like, won, like, the trivia contest. And that's the first time I ever heard of it, but I never, like, listened or, you know, investigated further than that. Like, so, yeah, so, in the, in so the, I completely missed out on a ton of things with my slightly Christian, your Christian upbringing, yes. upbringing, yeah. Yeah, well, so my, my, my weird boomer parents would not do that. Um if it wasn't WZZD, it wasn't for me, apparently. Like, I didn't know, like, XPN or anything else. Uh, yeah, so we, uh, we, uh, we would come home from school, put on the uh, 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 XPN at 7 p.m. and listen every day. And they basically just had all Weird Al records, uh, Danby Giants Flood, and then a couple Dr. Demento anthologies. Mm. was pretty much their entire mu- musical catalog. And so all I went and saw was kids' music up until the, the – First time I saw Weird Al, which was uh, uh, before the before the Off the Deep End tour, was the first time I saw him, and I uh-huh. will be seeing him in July. It will be my thirty fourth Weird Al show. I I've only seen Weird Al once live. I saw him at the Tower a couple years ago. Um, it was right before like the, the his last album, like his last real album, because he's since said that after that contract was fulfilled. He's gonna move basically towards, you know, singles and do more releases like that instead of like that was his last studio album. I'll say it that way then. Well, it it, it was his last album under contract right. where he had to deliver an album. Right. That had that, to have a yeah, single. Like, and yeah. yeah. So what he said is that he's going to decide what he wants to right. do. And so his last tour before this was all original. So he how was how was that? It was amazing. I mean, as a guy oh, who I celebrates mean. his entire catalog, it was amazing. <laughs> and we, Why did you say that, like, celebrate his entire catalog? Because if you like, go there and you're looking to hear, like, uh, eat I, it. No, you say it that way, and I think of the Michael Bolton line in Office Space. Oh, that's not where I was, <laughs> that's, that's not where that's I was coming I from. I clicked it. I, le- I legitimately <laughs> celebrate his entire catalog. I know you do. Um, yeah, so, so uh, we, we went, uh, the, Bryce and I went and saw him in uh, Atlantic City, and then we went and Right, because he didn't come to Philadelphia on that tour. He didn't come to Philly, but we went and saw him in... Um, uh, at the Apollo, and uh, you know he did a, a a rotating you know set of all originals, and so mm. it you know it, if if you dig him for that, like because he's not just a parodist, right? He's like uh, his his comedic construction is brilliant, yeah. Right, his lyricism is incredible. Like he could have written a musical. Like he's a, he's just a brilliant libertist in general. So um, you know if you appreciate it on on you know on all cylinders. Like I'll, I'll watch him do anything, and so this new tour, he's, he's touring with an orchestra, and he, uh, like, I was very late to look Weird Al. Like, I didn't really dig into him, and oh, I didn't even dig into him. I had like the first album I had of him was Running with Scissors, because of the saga begins. Like for whatever reason, that was that hit mainstream, and I was like, all right, let me check this out, and I just didn't get it completely. And then the first time I, I've only seen him once, and even at that one concert, I was like, all right, I've seen it, I, I'm done. I don't need to do it again. But, like, in the years since, I'm just like, no, I, I, I do want to see this again. Like, like Weird Al's awesome. Like, um, I mean, uh, sure. I, it's like, you know, I don't go see fish, but people love seeing fish, right? Because they – maybe there's part of its nostalgia and then part of its musicianship, right? I appreciate the showmanship 
yeah. that he brings to a show. Yeah. Like the you know um, I don't know if you know he he both his parents died of uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, I and remember he, hearing that. Uh, he learned that, and three minutes later went out and did yes. a show, yeah. and probably delivered better just than as good just as, as any just like as he could have done any other no 90s. one would have known any differently like on stage that there was an issue to him like yeah because he is a consummate showman yeah and like w- like if you watch um there's a video of him online recording craigslist with Ma- ray manzarek from the doors okay and like he's telling ray manzarek of the doors how to play the doors better <laughs> and you're like oh this dude knows what he wants and like like as, as somebody who has grown up and into making things like you really appreciate watching somebody who knows what they want work really hard to get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so what I enjoyed as a kid, which was the goofy element of it, as I've grown, I've appreciated other things as I've gotten older. Mm. And I don't think if I discovered his work now, I would like it the same way. Okay. I think that there's a, a bit of the history that comes along with it mm. that leads to a deeper appreciation. So I don't like, like, I think if you were to introduce me to like, uh, I don't know any more music. Never mind. Do we <laughs> talk about how the ske- sketch sucks, or do you want to? Um, like, so then, like, all right, you come home every day. Kane's in the hall, Saturday Night Live on on Comedy Central, Weird Al, and Kids Corner every night at seven to play. What is the trigger? What's the first step for you wanting to do it to make videos with your brother? Like, why was that the ne- Why was that how you wanted to do something, or like spend your time with? What was the what sparked making videos with him? Okay, so there's the two. Po- he may he may have made me. Okay. Uh, but also, you know, it's like we were watching this thing, and when you want, when you really love something, you want to be part of it, mm-hmm. right? You want to like participate in it and like feel like you're living that thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was it. I don't know. Just it was just a way to kill time as a teenager like i don't think it was killing time though because i felt like it was really important okay like i felt like i was doing something that like that mattered to me like i really had to do this you're just making me want to see the videos more like cool keep keep <laughs> keep hoping i'll 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 go stalk your brother and try to find him he has them i know like yeah. we'll work on it but yeah i, I think it was it, like it was uh it was uh you know it was a compulsion right okay. so like i think th- and that's probably true for a lot of people that you like, like I, I'm gonna look out uh, the dozens of people in this room. Like, do do people that you work with are they ever like, why do you do this? Why do you continue to do this thing? Right? And it's like just because I that's how I'm wired, right? Like, do, is that how you guys feel? Like, why do you do it? Yeah. You're right. Like, uh, so like I don't think it was ever like this is the thing I can do to 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 pass time. It was always like, no, this is I have to do this thing. Was there time between doing videos with your brother and see your pants that you were trying to be creative, like, or was there like a like a revelation when secret pants when uh, your roommate invited you to hang out with the secret pants crew and get involved with that? Uh, I mean, there, yeah, like so doing videos with Brian and then doing you know making stuff in the video studio in high school, and then first year of college I wrote a short film and didn't know how to produce it, but mm. tried but failed. And then went to Temple and uh, John, my roommate, and I actually tried to, like, start a humor magazine. Okay. That never got off the ground. Um, and that's, but that's where we met Bryce for the first time. And then he took that class. And then 
all of a sudden it was like these people came into so my there, life. There, okay, so I, I've never. And all heard of a sudden, of it, there's uh, a network, and there's there's an ability to do it. So I've never heard of this humor magazine that you attempted. Like, did you actually like publish one or? We no, we started. Okay. And we wrote a bunch. You just started. Okay, but it's like we didn't know what the fu- we right. didn't know how to do anything. But like, like college humor magazine, you can just like photocopy things and just leave them around everywhere and like see what happens. Yeah, we didn't. We just didn't do it. Well, I, I mean, like we, we was. I'm saying that as a 33 year old looking back, like right. with hindsight, like 70 year old Josh wouldn't have thought of that either. Well, so. I think we all forget how hard it was to actually do stuff in 2002, awesome, in 2003. Yeah. Like it was, it was di- like yeah. The temple had dot matrix printers when I was there. <laughs> like there were not photocopiers. It cost money to get photocopies. Still mimeographs, made. I'm sure. Yeah, ditto. I machines, had mimeographs man, until right? I was, you know. And I moved into the suburbs, actually. And like, you huff that ditto machine stuff, and you're going to get highest. I, yeah, and you're next thing you know, you're you're on the ground. It was so like we where we went to school. There was there were no laser printers. There was no photocopier. Yeah. And so like we had to like try to raise money to have something printed professionally. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And we went and applied for a grant through the school, and they gave us two hundred bucks, which was nothing. We couldn't yeah. do anything for that, and so it just kind of died, right? Um, yeah, now you can go and just like photocopy That's, something yeah. and pass around, but I, like, and it's that is weird to me because I'm always angry when people are like, back in the day, it was, you know, we didn't have cell phones in my pocket, and then I ask a question about like, oh, a total like cell phone in my pocket question about just fucking photocopy it. It's I just curse, why did I curse? Like, do you have to edit the profanities out? I probably will because okay. I don't like it. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't feel good. Because I, like, if you're gonna curse, like, make it like matter, not just like you know a random. Yeah, make it spot. fucking matter, man. Yeah, yeah, not just like a random objective, like adjective there. Um, but yeah, so so uh, I I do think it's it, there, it, you know, it is a, there there is this mentality like yeah you can just make anything you want. It's like we it was when we were making videos. It was really hard. Like we like you do. I remember one time we ran out of tape. We had to drive all the way across the Jersey Shore looking for a place that had <laughs> tapes. You know, and now it it. It, it, it's things have gotten progressively easier, it's, but yeah, we, tr- so we tried to do this magazine. It was we went to Temple, so we called it the Hooter, and uh, it just never, just never materialized. Just, and then, do you remember anything that any of the stuff that you had written for no. the Hooter? No, no, don't remember anything. I'll find those too. I, I don't <laughs> I don't think you will. Those I, there's I no record I could. of those, as far as I know. I mean, that was you know it was like all in, it was in notebooks and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, because you only had like floppy disks, and I had a computer. I, <laughs> I uh, actually a couple of years ago, I actually went out and bought like a plug-and-play like floppy disk reader because I knew I had some of my old stuff. And the one big project that I wanted to have was completely corrupted, and I was like shattered that I didn't have the full thing from the high school project that I did. Well, that, that's why like this this was the oldest thing I this sketch that I'm holding in my hand, uh, studio audience, um, was. The oldest thing I could find from uh, when I went from Hotmail to Gmail, mm-hmm. I have no access to my Hotmail account now. Mm-hmm. So like, this is the this is not my first sketch, but it's the oldest thing I had access right. to. Um, and and I like for me when I had this idea, I happened to stumble upon my first sketch. Like I knew what it was, I knew what the concept was. I thought I could rewrite it if I had to. And eventually, I found it in a box in my parents' house. Like I was like, oh, it's a real thing. Wow. Actually, I didn't just dream out. it. I didn't print this out. Like it's crazy. Um, yeah. So so yeah. So we tried to do that, and then John got into this class and met all these people, and then next thing you know, it's like you've got uh, a bunch of people surrounding you who are driven in different ways, mm-hmm. in other ways, and they're all kind of like coming at something from a different angle. And that was what was weird. I think about the like original thirteen of us. It's like everybody had a 
really different perspective of what we were supposed to be doing and how we were supposed to be replicating a thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was all in earnest, but probably wasn't very good. Yeah, and, like, with 13 people, just the, the idea of, like, no one really steering the ship or, like, like it, it feels like that like yeah we were steering the ship okay that's why we're still here the the 13 down to seven down to five the rest of them abandoned ship yeah. um this is really bad because like this feels like a good point to stop part at one because i don't i, I want to talk more about secret pants but we don't have the time to do it right now okay so Any we, final thoughts that's, that's what i'm trying to debate like if i do my final questions now or do it later i think i have to do them later okay because we haven't skimmed the surface yet. Because there's still like 15 years of other material to talk about. I'm not as deep as you think. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Paul. No problem. Big thanks to Isaiah Hedden of Bad Medicine and sketch nerds podcast for recording this at the podcast mixer at philly Sketchfest. secret pants will be presenting too tired to christmas their annual holiday extravaganza at johnny brenda's on monday december 23rd starting at 8 p.m the show will be emceed by chip chantry with performances by randy warhol the legendary wid house of solitude eat your beats with alejandra morales and Alyssa alduki Kate Thompson and Jessica Ross. Mike Marbach will be doing a reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas. And I feel like there's probably going to be more as I record this. Doors open at 7, shows at 8, like I said. Tickets are $10 and available at johnnybrendas.com. I've said it every year. It's my favorite show of the year. And you should go. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at Philly Sketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. <laughs>